It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. Nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the bunchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. But it's money, money, money makes the world go Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which means armchair politics is coming up in just a little bit. But uh, as you might have told, uh, been able to tell from that uh, that little riff from Monty Python, um, that. <clears throat> This is the first Wednesday of the month, and that's when we check in on the economy with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Tom. Always great to be here. Um, what What is the outcome of the big meeting that the president had with uh Fed Chair Jerome Powell and uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen? Well, it's hard to know what concrete steps will be taking place as a result of that meeting since the White House is not commenting and commenting on it, and neither is the Federal Reserve. But I think it really shows that inflation is a real problem in the sense that it's really unprecedented that you have the President of the United States, the Secretary of the Treasury, and the Chair of the Federal Reserve all meeting together. I mean, that just doesn't happen, um, or it doesn't happen very often. What do you, what do you, you make of the, of the comments that have been made about Janet Yellen um, getting her forecasting wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think that is quite striking that she uh, recorded an interview where she said I was wrong about inflation. Um, I don't think there's any excuse for being wrong about inflation when you're the Secretary of the Treasury because um, there are a lot of people who are saying that um, the March 2021 stimulus coupled with past stimuluses um, were going to result in inflation. And people like Janet Yellen were saying, no, it won't. 
Inflation will maybe increase a little bit due to transitory reasons, but it'll kick back down to 2% or so uh, by summer 2022. Um, so I think the Secretary of the Treasury should have known better. I mean, the causes of inflation are literally Econ 101. So my view is both the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department just have no credibility when talking about inflation, given how wrong they were about such a basic concept. And what, do you, what is the president mean when he says uh, uh, we'll respect the, fret, the Fed, that he will respect the Fed? So what I think he means is that the Federal Reserve is going to have to tighten the money supply to reduce inflation, um, kind of like what Paul Volcker did back in the early 1980s where he let interest rates rise to double-digit levels to bring down the rate of inflation. It's hard to imagine that level of tightening occurring again today um, for a variety of reasons, one of which is that servicing the national debt would be unaffordable for the federal government if interest rates ever rose um, to those levels. So there will be some Fed tightening, and the Fed tightening will cause the economy to slow down. So I think Biden is saying is we're going to let the Fed tighten. We're not going to exert political pressure on the Federal Reserve to end the tightening in order to goose the economy perhaps before an election. Because if you go back to Federal Reserve history, like in the mid-1960s with Lyndon Johnson and the early 1970s with Richard Nixon, you find numerous instances of the President of the United States pressuring the Federal Reserve to open the spigot of the money supply to try to goose the economy for political reasons as the chair of the Federal Reserve back then, um, obliging. So I think what Biden is saying is, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to let the Federal Reserve tighten, bring down the rate of inflation, even if that costs um, um, short-run um, political capital. Well, one uh, Fed official supports raising interest rates um, at a fast clip for several meetings. Yeah, I saw that too. So what that suggests is uh, maybe a half a percentage point increase in interest rates um, every meeting for the foreseeable future, which if that happens, interest rates get pretty high pretty quickly because you do that um, 12 meetings, you're talking about a, a, a six percentage point rise in interest rates. You know, that would bring the federal funds rate from it's about one and a half percent right now to seven and a half percent. That would be a 15 year high. Interest rates across the board would rise, probably by about six percentage points as well. Mortgage interest rates are already around 5%. You'd be pushing mortgage rates close to, you know, maybe 8 9 10%. That, to me, just seems hard to imagine the Federal Reserve being that aggressive. So perhaps what he means is that, well, maybe for the next few meetings, the Federal Reserve raises interest rates by half a percentage point, and then they take a step back to see... Um, what the effect that is on inflation. Um, the issue with the Federal Reserve is that their communication has always been esoteric, where it's kind of like back in the Cold War, where there's this field that was sometimes called um, Kremlinology, where people would try to study the Kremlin to figure out what was going on, because you know the Kremlin didn't communicate with the outside world, or lots of times what they said was not jiving with reality. Um, so there's kind of a similar study of like Fedology, where you try to study the Federal Reserve You'll figure out what they're saying and how that maps to what they're going to do. And that's never a perfect science. So the best we could do is kind of guess um, what the Federal Reserve means when a governor says, well, we're going to be aggressive raising interest rates. 
um, over over time. Like, you know, what's that mean? What's aggressive mean? How long is that going to take place for? Uh, we just don't know because the Federal Reserve is never specific about exactly what it's going to do. Chris, does it know what it's going to do? I mean, is there a goal in sight that if you know if we raise it by six percent um you know this will happen and and that will happen and and if that's the case why not why not raise it that much at the next meeting um why why do it in increments of half a percent yeah so a couple of questions there um first i think it's probably possible that that the federal reserve doesn't know what it's doing um except in fact i think that's extremely likely because throughout the course of the pandemic we've been told by the federal reserve and inflation is not going to be a problem um we can print all this money dump it into the economy double the money supply and that's not going to cause inflation well why is that not going to cause inflation we've known at least from milton friedman's time even before that that <laughs> inflation is caused by printing money than spending that newly printed money. So why would that not, not be true now? Uh, we never got an explanation for that. We were just supposed to trust the Federal Reserve that that wouldn't cause inflation because there hasn't been inflation for, for the last 40 years. And then what do you know, um, starting in 2021, inflation started to be a problem and it wasn't transitory. Yeah, I think it's quite likely the Federal Reserve doesn't know what it's doing. So they're just trying to, you know, figure it out as they go along, kind of like um, someone walking through a darkened room trying to get through a maze, just kind of you know, guessing and feeling their way through it, which is not really that reassuring given the large role the Federal Reserve is supposed to play in um, steering the U.S. economy. Um, so your second question was, why not just raise interest rates by six percentage points all at once? Um, I think people would say that that's too much of a shock to the system, that if in the course of a day, the Federal Reserve meets the Open Market Committee, which sets monetary policy, which determines interest rates, meets, uh, it's like second or third week of the month. Um, it's a day-long meeting or so. If, if the outcome of that meeting was, well, hey, let's increase the interest rate by six percentage points, you would see mortgage rates shoot from like 5%, maybe up to 10%. You'd see car loan interest rates do something similar. Credit card interest rates would do something similar. Um, overnight bank lending rates um, would increase by six percentage points. You know, the stock market, as a result of a shock to that system, would unquestionably crash. They'd probably have to shut down trading because the stock market would drop so rapidly. So it's more along the lines of if they do it incrementally, well, then the market can adapt, consumers can adapt, and it's not such a shock to the system. Now, this this meeting between the president and the treasury secretary and uh, the Fed chair happened at a time when inflation is at its highest in 40 years. What are the things that, that have contributed to inflation being that high. You said that uh, um, printing money contributes to it. Um, some people are speculating that uh, sanctions on Russia are, con you know, are a contributing factor. What, what are some of the things that you think um, have caused inflation 
to go so high? So I think the biggest contributor is the March 2021 stimulus. That was the largest stimulus in American history. It's over $2 trillion. It's the American Recovery um, Plan um, or American Recovery Act, whatever it was called. I know American Recovery was in the title. Uh, but that, like I said, that's the largest stimulus in American history. It sends everyone a $1,400 check. People try to spend that check, which pushes, pushes up the price of goods and services. It dumps um, $250 billion towards state and local governments. They're going to try to spend that money, which is going to push up the price of goods and services. And there's lots of other uh, people who received um, spending or who received uh, benefits from that stimulus who are going to try to spend it. Um, which pushes up the price of goods and services. And largely the money for that stimulus was created out of thin air. So it just gets back to the root cause of inflation in that money is created, it's spent, money creation outpaces the production of goods and services, which pushes prices up. So that is the predominant cause of inflation. Um, the Federal Reserve District Bank in San Francisco recently released a study that said well, as a consequence of that stimulus, inflation is three percentage points higher um, than what it is at basically the rest of the developed world. So if you do the counterfactual of perhaps that March stimulus, March 2021 stimulus wasn't enacted, um, inflation would be three percentage points lower. You know, rather than having eight and a half percent inflation, we would have five and a half percent inflation. And that's a much different animal. You know, it's much easier to get five and a half percent inflation down to two percent that eight and a half percent inflation down to 2%. And then the Russian-Ukrainian war is contributing to rising prices, primarily through the energy shock that's happened as a consequence. So if you go back to February, it's like February 22nd, 23rd, sometime around there where you know, Russia announces its um, war with the Ukraine, um, the price of oil goes shooting up by about $40 plus per barrel, from about $80 per barrel to well over $100 per barrel. That's when you see the price of gasoline at the pump increase by a buck per gallon, you know, from like three and a half dollars per gallon to four and a half dollars per gallon. You know, that's probably added a percentage point to inflation. Then if you do the counterfactual of, well, perhaps we don't do this March 2021 stimulus, perhaps there could have been a diplomatic solution worked out between, the, between Russia and the Ukraine that would have prevented that conflict. Inflation would have been about four percentage points lower. So rather than having eight and a half percent inflation, we would have four and a half percent inflation. And that's really not that bad coming out of a massive recession. And that it's pretty straightforward, I think, to get inflation from 4.5% down to 2.5%. It's much more difficult to get inflation down from 8.5% down to 2.5% inflation. Hey, so Chris, my short answer is... Yep. Yeah, take a break? Yep, i got to take a break here. Um, hopefully you can stick around and we'll talk some more. Okay, sounds good. Okay, my guest is uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. He joins us uh, on the first Wednesday of every month. We're going to talk some more about the economy with Chris after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our uh, first uh, Wednesday of the month uh, conversation about the economy with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, it's always great to be here, Tom. Um, Chris, just before the break, you were about to make a point. We could pick it up there, or um, or, or I can ask this. Um, what is the connection between money supply and inflation? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, um, the point actually, I between money supply and prices. Yeah, that's right, because inflation just means that prices are rising uh, month to month, year to year. So rising prices and inflation uh, both mean the same thing. Um, but the point I was making before the break, just real quickly, is that um, inflation was completely preventable. It's a consequence of some pretty severe policy mistakes. Um, policy mistakes that I think that in the future we will look back and say were the worst policy mistakes in at least a generation. Um, but with that said, um, inflation is pretty straightforward. It happens because uh, money is created. Um, the U.S. has fiat currency, uh, which means it's not backed by gold, not backed by silver, it's not backed by anything except the full faith of cre- full faith and credit of the federal government. And, um, you can put a value on that um, for, for for whatever you want it to be, um, depending on what you think the full faith and credit of the federal government is worth. Um, so what that means is there's nothing stopping um, the monetary authority, meaning the Federal Reserve, from just printing more money. Um, if money was backed by gold, if it was backed by silver, it would be tougher to create money because you can't just print more gold, you can't print more silver, like you could print more dollar bills. Well, when the dollar's not backed by anything, there's nothing stopping the monetary authority from printing more money. So suppose the monetary authority um, prints more money and then just disperses it throughout the economy. Uh, the famous Nobel Prize winning economist Milton Friedman used the analogy of a helicopter drop. Say, well, suppose the Federal Reserve creates a bunch of new money, puts it in the helicopter, and then just drops it from a helicopter across the economy, what would happen? Well, people would pick up that money, try to spend it. Well, that would be a problem because no more good, no additional goods and services are being produced. So you have all this additional money being spent, no additional goods and services. So what happens? Well, the price of goods and services just rise, rises, um, which is by definition inflation. Um, if you think back to the last two years, that's what's happened. Um, there hasn't literally been a helicopter drop of new money, but there's something very close to that in the form of um, the federal government just direct depositing stimulus payments into people's bank accounts. Um, in principle, that's no different than a helicopter drop. So if you look at the three rounds of stimulus payments, you have March 2020, December 2021, um, and then March 2020, or December 2020 and then March 2021, uh, where people are getting, you know, $1,400, $600 direct deposited into their bank account. You know, that money was just created out of thin air by the Federal Reserve. So people get that money, try to spend it, while the production of goods and services hasn't risen. So all that additional spending causes prices to rise. So that's where inflation comes from. It's like Milton Friedman said, too much money chasing too few goods and services. So the money supply rises faster than the production of goods and services rises by, well, then prices rise and we get inflation. Okay, so 
the rising prices isn't directly um, tied to the creation of money, but rather a, a control mechanism about supply and demand. Right. Um, you could say the control mechanism is enacted, which is probably not the right way to put it because there's no one person doing it. Um, but the control mechanism is enacted because people are trying to spend on this newly created money. So suppose the Federal Reserve you know, printed a bunch of money and then just socked it in a warehouse somewhere for people to look at, I don't know. Well, that wouldn't cause inflation because, sure, the money supply has increased, but no one's trying to spend it. It's just sitting in a warehouse. But if the Federal Reserve creates a bunch of money and the people do try to spend it, well, all this additional spending um, outpaces the production of goods and services and thus prices rise. It's like an auction, if you think about it that way. Um, suppose something's being auctioned off, I don't know, like a TV or a piece of sports memorabilia, and you have people who are in the audience making bids. And then suppose the Federal Reserve comes in and just, like, gives everyone $100,000 just out of thin air. Well, what would happen with that auction? Well, everyone has an additional $100,000 to spend. All of a sudden, the bids would skyrocket because all these people, all these people have all this additional money to spend, and the closing price would be much higher than what it would have been had the Federal Reserve not done that. So I think that's a good analogy to see how inflation um, occurs, how new money that is spent that causes prices to rise. Yeah, I just, I, I, I just couldn't. It didn't make any sense to me why all of a sudden another uh, an extra fourteen hundred dollars shows up in my account. Why that has anything to do with pricing? But then, as I go out and spend that money, and other people are out spending that money, it starts drawing down. You know the the supply of goods, and in order to slow that down the the prices go up and and that that makes sense to me somehow yeah that's exactly right and there wouldn't be inflation if you're the only one who got fourteen hundred dollars right you'd spend that no one else had it prices would be unaffected but you know there's it's not exactly 322 million people who are spending fourteen hundred dollars because not everyone got a check it was probably you know, 250 million people got checks or so. So if you have 250 million people trying to spend an additional $1,400, yeah, that's going to cause prices to rise because um, due to pandemic restrictions, supply chain issues, etc., the production of goods and services is restricted. You have all this additional spending, production of goods and services is hard, that's going to cause prices to rise just like in that hypothetical auction. You know, there's a um, an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal that uh, suggests that the light labor market um, has made it easier for workers to find jobs and earn raises, but the increased leverage hasn't translated into a change in the, the relative positions of uh, employees and employers after all we've heard about it being sort of a, a laborer's market that uh, there were all these jobs to be filled and, and uh, 
pay rates were going up. How is it that they're not getting a bigger piece of the pie? Yeah, I haven't seen that article that you refer to, but I think there could be a couple things going going on. So I think there's lots of different labor markets. You know, people talk about the labor market, as in there's just this one market for jobs and one market for workers. But there's lots of different markets. You have, like, markets for fast food workers. You have markets for brain surgeons. You have markets for every occupation out there. So I think at the hourly end of the labor market, you know, people who work for hourly wages, I think you are seeing <clears throat> wages increase in those markets. And if you drive around, you see fast food places like Burger King and Wendy's offering, you know, 13 14 $50 per hour. I've heard if you go up north to like Traverse City, you have McDonald's up there offering $20, $21 per hour um, because that's what they have to do in order to attract workers. There's such a shortage of um, hourly workers that at some point businesses have to choose do I just shut my doors, reduce my hours, or do I increase wages to what it takes to attract someone? So I think you do see people out there who are in a position to exert leverage on the employer, which is evidenced by hourly wage rates increasing like that. And you're also seeing this new phenomenon, which I think is interesting, in that um, firms are offering to pay workers daily. Like if you go get a job with Wendy's, um, Wendy's might say, hey, we'll pay you at the end of the day for the hours you work. You know, we'll pay you $15 per hour. You know, you work an eight-hour shift. You know, we'll pay you 15 times eight at the end of the day. You don't have to wait a week or two weeks for your, for your pay um, as a way to attract workers. Um, I think where you might be seeing issues in the labor market is that um, the labor market is worker-friendly when workers have the ability to move to a different job if they don't get a raise or other benefits from their current employer. So with like fast food workers, they can move because most towns have more than one fast food restaurant. So if Wendy's isn't paying what the worker wants, the worker could go to Burger King or McDonald's. But there are, there are other jobs out there where their employer might be the only game in town, moving means physically locating to a different city or a different state. And I think with the housing market and the state that it's in right now, moving is just very difficult. Because sure, you can put your house on the market right now, maybe you could sell it instantly. Well, that's great, but you have to move somewhere new in a different city or a different state, which means you have to get into a bidding war with everyone else who's trying to move into that different city or that, or that different state. And if winning the bidding war might be paying, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars over asking, which after you sell your house, puts you in the hole. So with the housing markets goofed up like it is right now, that makes it difficult for workers in certain labor markets to move. And if workers can't move, well, then they can't exert leverage against their employers, which means that wage of benefit gauge for those workers are going to be limited. What is the significance of uh, mortgage rates dropping uh, the last couple of weeks? Yeah, it's hard to say um, what transitory changes in mortgage rates mean. Um, I thought it was striking that mortgage rates hit nearly 6% a couple of weeks ago. And of course, they've dropped now. It's hard to read too much into what that means um, without looking at a longer-term trend. Um, my view is that mortgage rates have to increase at some point for a couple of reasons. Um, first is Federal Reserve tightening. 
If the Federal Reserve really follows through with letting interest rates rise to combat inflation, that will translate to higher mortgage interest rates. And then second, if inflation continues to be a problem, that should feed into higher interest rates because at some point a lender is going to demand to be compensated for inflation over the life of a loan. So I think mortgage rates over the long term are going to rise. And the question is, what effect does that have on the housing market? Ordinarily, if mortgage interest rates rise over the longer term, housing prices should fall because higher mortgage interest rates make it more expensive to take out a mortgage, which means people can't afford as much of a house as they could afford before, which would cause housing prices to fall. And if housing prices fall, you know, that could be a sticky situation um, for the economy because what you don't want to have is a repeat of 2008 and 2009 and the disaster that falling housing prices brought. Um, with mortgage rates falling um, over the last couple of weeks, perhaps that postpones housing prices from falling to further in the future. Uh, but at some point, I'm kind of concerned that um, mortgage rates will rise over the longer term for reasons I talked about, and that will cause housing prices to fall. And the last thing you want is to have a bunch of people who paid you know, $50,000, $60,000 over asking in a bidding war during the pandemic to all of a sudden be underwater in their mortgage if housing prices come down. Because when people are underwater with their mortgage, you know, that's when you start seeing default because people are less likely to pay on a loan uh, where the underlying asset, the house, is worth less than what's owed, uh, owed on the loan. What's been on your radar the last uh, three or four weeks since we... Uh since we talked, Chris? So inflation, like we've um, been talking about throughout this discussion, has been the pre predominant thing on my radar. Um, yeah, I don't want to you know, pat myself on the back or anything, but I've been concerned about inflation since basically this, the end of 2020 or even beforehand. So I don't want to you know, say I was right about predicting inflation, but it was something I've been concerned with for the last two years. So if I've been worried about it for the last two years, it's certainly been on my radar for the well, last you, three or four you, months. You did better than Janet Yellen. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the Biden administration is going to make me Treasury Secretary anytime soon. Um, but I, I suppose there's that. Uh, but when you think about inflation, it's kind of hard for anything else to be on, my, on your radar because there's just no way to avoid inflation. It's a tax that everyone pays in the form of higher prices for all the goods and services we buy. Gasoline, groceries, housing, everything. You just you just can't avoid it. And you speak about other taxes like the income tax. Well, you could avoid the income tax, just don't work. You know, it's a tough way to avoid the tax, but at least there's a way to avoid it. Or the sales tax, where well, you could avoid the sales tax by not not buying you know things that are taxed. Um, that's a tough thing to do, but you could avoid it. Well, when inflation is causing everything to get more expensive, there's just Nothing you could do. Uh, but Milton Friedman made that point when he was talking about inflation in the 1970s. So, you know, you've got this cost, this tax that's unavoidable. It's kind of hard to think, think about anything else. So, certainly that's been on my radar, and the Russian-Ukrainian war has been on my radar as well for a couple of reasons. First, it's such a tragedy on humanitarian grounds that I think it's a real failure of diplomacy at all levels. Russian, Ukrainian, European, the United States, to not find a diplomatic solution prior to getting to this point. It just seems something that could have been done to avoid this war. Um, so that's you know, one reason it's 
been on my radar because it's such a tragedy. And then second is because it's caused such an increase in the price of oil, oil and gasoline. And if you look at the most common cause of a recession post-World War II, it's a sudden rise in energy prices. So that could really present a dilemma for policymakers in the sense that, well, if this energy spike causes a recession, you know, the Federal Reserve is going to face a recession right at the same time it needs to tighten to reduce inflation. So then what's the Federal Reserve going to do? Do they continue tightening and then make the recession worse? Or do they stop tightening, let inflation get worse in order to try to make the recession less severe? Um, that's a real dilemma. Um, because you can't fight inflation and a recession at the same time. If you fight one, the other problem gets worse. So I fear a lot that policymakers at all levels, the Federal Reserve, the federal government, have really painted themselves into a corner. And that they potentially have some real economic problems where there's not going to be a, a straightforward solution. Well, the Fed's talking about raising interest rates at a half a percentage point, at least for the June and July meetings, um, as a way to tame inflation. The President, the Secretary uh, of the Treasury, the Fed Chair got together and had a meeting about inflation. but. What tools are there in the toolbox? What can a president do? What can a Fed chair do? What can a Treasury secretary do? What can all three of them combined do to combat inflation? So there's nothing politically easy to combat inflation, so I think that's the real problem. So, you know, one thing the president could do is reduce the size of the federal budget deficit. So when the federal government is spending more money than what's being brought in by taxes, you know, that difference has to be covered somehow. It's either covered by borrowing or it's covered by the creation of money in the sense that the Federal Reserve creates money to buy up the new treasuries that are being issued to cover the budget deficit. So if the budget deficit was smaller, there'd be less pressure for the, for the Federal Reserve to finance the budget deficit through money creation. So I think that's why you saw Paul Volcker back in the early 1980s raise interest rates aggressively to combat inflation because the federal budget deficit back then was much smaller than what it is right now, and the national debt was smaller back then than what it is right now. So just the federal government getting its fiscal house in order would go a long way to combat inflation uh, because it would free the Federal Reserve's hands to restrict the money supply, let interest rates rise, and bring down the rate of inflation. So that's one thing the federal government could do. The federal government could also give the Federal Reserve the ability to raise interest rates and restrict the money supply to reduce inflation um, without you know, political pressure to continue to stimulate the economy. And I think if you want to talk about one of the good things that Ronald Reagan did as president is that he did give Paul Volcker a lot of leeway to um, restrict the money supply, reduce inflation at the cost of a pretty severe recession between 1981 and 1982. Um, Jimmy Carter appoints Paul Volcker in 1979, but it's really Ronald Reagan who saw it through. And Reagan was a, was willing to take the short-run political hit to bring down inflation in the long run. And that's tough to do because, you know, there are midterm elections, you know, every two years. 
Um, I should say a major election every two years. So uh, there's a chance that the party of power could pay a real political price if bringing down inflation in the long run causes a short-run recession. So, you know, the president has to tell the, the chair of the, the Federal Reserve, you know, we've got your back. You know, we'll let you do what it what you need to do, and we'll bear that short-run cost. What can regular people... A- go ahead. Oh, no, I... Oh, don't go ahead. I, I was just going to ask, and, and we're getting close to the end here, but um, what can regular people do to protect themselves from the effects of inflation and high gas prices and that sort of thing? Are there just some belt-tightening steps that people should take to just hunker down and ride it out? How, how should people respond to what's going on around them? I mean, the sad answer is there's nothing people could do to protect themselves from inflation. There's no no hedge available, which is why inflation is such an insidious problem. Because you might say, well, perhaps you should just not buy gasoline, not buy goods and services, just save your money. Well, inflation is going to reduce the purchasing power of those savings. If you save the money as cash at home, the purchasing power of that of that cash is going to fall by 8.5% a year. If you make a bank deposit... Well, the interest rate of the bank deposit is far lower than the rate of inflation, so you lose purchasing power that way. You can buy stocks. Well, there's a chance the stock market will crash. We, we saw both. We saw major stock indices decline too close to bear market territory in 2022. Well, if you bought stocks in December of 2021, you saw you know, 20% of your stock value fall. Well, that's not a good protection. You can buy real estate, but there's a chance that real estate prices come back down like we talked about. So there's nothing people could do to protect themselves from inflation other than buy as many goods and services as you can right now, store them, because if prices continue to rise, well, that's a way perhaps to avoid the impact of future price increases. But that's not a very satisfying way to protect yourself <laughs> from inflation, just you know, load up your basement with canned goods to ride out future price increases. So, I mean, the fat answer is there's nothing really you can do. Well, I hate to end on a note like that, but maybe we'll have uh, better news and better things to talk about coming up next month. Chris, thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. Oh, you're welcome. It's always great to be here and to talk with you, Tom. I look forward to speaking with you again next month. All right. Take care. You too. That was... uh, Economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. He joins me on the first Wednesday of uh, every month to talk about what's going on with the economy. And of course, coming up in about 20 minutes or so, we'll have our two hour political roundtable armchair politics. So, by all means, stay tuned. I've got. 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must hanker for the bunchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go Money, 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 money. 
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, the Bickersons. <laughs> This day will go down in history as precedent-shattering. John Bickerson is smiling. Despite the lateness of the hour, the fact that he has had perhaps the hardest day of his life at the office, John Bickerson is smiling. Why? Tell us, John. Two weeks vacation with pay. Wait till I tell Blanche, brother, how I've longed for this. I'll sew myself into the bed sheets and sleep for ten days. John? Hello, Blanche. How is my beautiful wife? What? Would you like me to bring you a glass of milk and a cookie? And here's a little present for you. You look wonderful, honey. Oh, this is awful. What's the matter? This morning I burned my hand on the stove. I ripped my only pair of nylons. My inlay fell out, and now you come home drunk. What are you talking about? I'm not drunk and you know it. Then why are you so nice to me? What's the use? When I come home tired, can't smile, she beefs. When I come home and try to be pleasant, she accuses me. Put out the lights. You're not going to bed with your shoes on. Yes, I am. I work like a horse. I might as well sleep like a horse. Why did you bring me a present? What have you been up to, John? Bring his wife a present. Oh, stop it. A husband doesn't bring his wife a present unless he's done something wrong. I've brought you a million presents and I've never done anything wrong. Never. Not since the day I married you. I wish you'd let me sleep. Sure. Sleep. That's the easiest way out when you've got a guilty conscience. Blanche, I tell you, I haven't got a guilty conscience. Then why did you buy me an expensive present? It isn't an expensive present. It's the crummiest present I could find. I could believe that, all right. What is it? Why don't you open it and see? I bet you've gone and thrown away your money on some stupid thing I can't even use. Oh, you can use it fine. A home beauty outfit. It's got everything, just what you need. Wrinkle cream, freckle remover, hair darkener, false eyelashes, chin reducing strap. What kind of a present do you call this? What are you hinting at? How did I know what was in it? Nobody would use this but a homely woman. Oh, that's not true. All women use it. They do not. Only the homely ones and I wouldn't touch it. The sales girl in the drugstore said she uses it all the time, and she's not half as homely as you are. What? I mean, you're just as pretty. And that's just about what happened. You walked into a drugstore, saw a pretty face, and didn't know what you were buying. I didn't look at her face at all. If you were going to buy me a present, why didn't you buy me something I could use? Why didn't you get me an ounce of taboo? What's that? My favorite perfume. Well, you've got a dresser full of perfume. Taboo, Sabu, Snafu, Sterno. Enough perfume for any woman alive. Look at those bottles. They're all empty, and it's all your fault. You left the corks out, and it evaporated. I leave the cork out of my bourbon, don't I? Well, what about it? That never evaporates. You never give it a chance. I don't see why I should have to do without because of your nasty habits. What do you think makes a thing dry up, John? Wish I knew. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm sleepy. You know I worked at the office 18 hours without a let-up. That's what you said you did. That's what I did. I did it for what I thought was a good reason, but now I'm sorry. Why? Forget it. What is it, John? What happened? (gasps) 
You lost your job. I didn't lose my job. I got two weeks vacation with pay. It's the first vacation I've had in seven years, and I wanted to enjoy it. But no, you wouldn't stand for that, would you? How can you say that, John? Of course I want you to enjoy yourself. Where's the money? In my wallet. Two whole weeks pay. Now, do you mind if I rest? You know, John, I haven't had a vacation either. A change of scene will do us both a world of good. If you're so tired, there's only one thing in the world for you to do. He's doing it. Where did he say that money was? Oh, here it is. Two weeks' pay. Blanche, put that money back. Oh, I, I thought you were sleeping, dear. What were you doing with that money? What's the matter, Blanche? I, I'm not doing anything. I'm just counting it to see if they gave you the right amount. It's the right amount. Put it back and go to sleep. You needn't talk like that. I wasn't going to steal it. Who said you were? Just like you to make a crack like that. I didn't make any cracks at all. Go on. Call the police. Have me arrested. Put me in prison. Nobody's putting you in prison. They'll lock me up in solitary confinement. Rats running all over me in my cell. And I stand helpless, shaking, behind iron bars. No way to escape. Blanche. Oh, why don't you send me a hacksaw, John? You're getting hysterical. Well, don't go accusing me of taking your money. It's half mine anyway. It's all yours. All I want is sleep. I don't see why we can't go away on a vacation for a few days. You go. I told you I'm going to do nothing but sleep for the whole two weeks. You'll have to get up sometime. Not even once. How are you going to collect your unemployment insurance? What unemployment insurance? You're going to be out of work for two weeks. You can't collect unemployment insurance if you've got a job. If you're not working, you haven't got a job, have you? That's different. Why? I don't know why. Nobody does it, that's all. Well, what's the good of unemployment insurance if you don't get any money when you're unemployed? Being on vacation is not the same as being unemployed. Don't tell me. What? Clara's husband, Barney, has never had a job his whole life, and he collects his unemployment check every week. He can't collect any checks if he doesn't work. I thought you said they only pay you when you don't work. That's right. But you have to work before you can be out of work so you have a legitimate claim for the money you earned that you don't get. I don't get it. Oh, leave me alone. And I'm telling you now, John, you've got two weeks off and you're going to do one of two things. Do you hear me? I hear you. Either you start collecting your unemployment insurance or else you fill in those two weeks with another job. Another job? This is my vacation. I don't care. It won't hurt you to work those two weeks. And we could use the money. Okay, I'll get another job in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? Go on, get up, get a job, you loafer. What kind of a job can I get at 2 o'clock in the morning? What's the matter with being a night watchman? I won't do it. I won't do it. You've got no right to deprive me of my two weeks off. I don't care what happens. I won't get another job. All right, then. Promise you'll take me away on a vacation. There's no way out. I promise. Will you swear? Every minute that we're away. I know where we'll go. Lake Tahoe. I'll only have to buy a few more dresses and you can wear your dungarees all the time. Okay. Just tell them you came in from fishing. And if it gets cold, I've got just the thing. Let me show you what I picked up on sale yesterday. I don't want to see it. Just look at this, John. Isn't it stunning? 
What's so stunning about a bath rug? It's a fur cape, silly. Well, where's the fur? Well, that's the way it's supposed to look. It's the very latest style. Sheared beaver. Sheared beaver? It's been clipped. So have I. You have not. This is worth every penny, John. You know I'm a good judge of furs. Oh, sure. The past two years you bought a bald mink and a plucked skunk. Well, what's wrong with them? The mink stinks and the skunk shrunk. Blanche, how much did you pay for this one? Only $94. $94? Oh, Blanche, you didn't. Get that money back, you hear me? Get that money back. Don't get hysterical. As soon as the... Blanche, how could you do this to me? I deny myself everything. I've been sewing heels on your old pocketbooks and wearing them for shoes. I've been eating the padding out of my overcoat shoulders to save on breakfast cereal. I don't even drink my bourbon anymore. I just chew the cork and hit myself on the head with the bottle. I never spend a nickel on myself. You bought a bag of popcorn yesterday. That wasn't popcorn. My teeth fell out from malnutrition. I'm warning you, Blanche. Blanche, you're not going to get away with it. What do you want? Hello, Bickerson. This is Mr. Guernsey. Yes. Uh, oh, hello, Mr. Guernsey. I hate to be calling you at this hour, Bickerson, but something very urgent has come up. What happened? I just received word that our Chicago plant burned down, and we weren't covered. This morning, I filed bankruptcy proceedings, and I'm closing up for good. What? I trust you'll find a new position, and I do wish you good luck. Well, uh, thanks. By the way, Bickerson, would you mind sending back that two-week salary I gave you? I need every penny I can scrape together. Yeah, um, sure, I'll send it. Uh, goodbye. Well, did you hear that, Blanche? No, what was it? My boss, Mr. Guernsey, I lost my job. <gasps> wonderful! Wonderful? What's so wonderful about it? Now you can collect your unemployment insurance. Oh, Blanche. Good night, John.
We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>